to say yes sir and then the bible goes on to say eh hey, hey, if you are obedient you are calling the bible alaba shake bredo sokolo hey hallelujah ah no let's do this thing give me first peter chapter 3 and puts under subjection is his body brothers and sisters you are not your body you are not your feelings sometimes people like quoting this wrong scripture which is non-existent no i'm just human i'm also prone to mistakes but you find the same people are able to discipline themselves to study for an exam how come you can sit down study for an exam make sure you are well focused and pass it there are people who are very disciplined when it comes to keeping money there are people who are very disciplined when it comes to doing things but how come you cannot discipline yourself also when it comes to doing the right thing because being a believer also is not is about making the decision to do the right thing Don't tell me you're not going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted. Even Jesus was tempted. But when you have made the decision, God gives you authority. Not just over snakes and scorpions, but also over your body. You'll be shocked when you decide that you're not going to insult someone. You'll be shocked to find that you're not dead. Yeah. There are places when you decide you're not going to that place. You woke up the following day. You find you are still alive. There's that girl or the guy when you don't date the person, you'll be shocked. You still find you're not dead. There are things you can do without. There are things you can do without. Hallelujah. Thanks, Lord. And so, what we learn is in the first place, what we learn is in the first place, sin was an act. In the second place, sin was no longer an act. Sin became a nature. So, Those people who were born of Adam did not need temptation because the tempter's programming was already in their system. People who are sinners by nature do not need temptation. You don't need to tempt a sinner to sin. It's just a matter of decision. It's just a matter of decision. They don't need to be tempted because it's part of their nature. See? Are you listening? Yes, you don't you don't need to tempt a baby to cry. It's just a matter of time. They may not be crying now. Soon when anything comes up. Ooh. So sin became a nature. And so we also learned that God brought the law because man was not aware that sin was a nature right remember what we learned from the book of ephesians chapter number 5 verse 17 was uh what we learned basically but beginning from 17 and anything but basically dealing with romans chapter number 5 what we learned was through one man's sin through one man's offense sin entered the world and death through sin right So when the Bible says sin entered the world that means the world of men. But the Bible also goes on to tell us so greater is the disobedience of one because it's greater than the offense it's not like the offense but it works on the same principle. What we learned is you didn't have to apply to be a sinner. There is no 
application fee at the council no e casin license ah pata kwa 18 tufuna casin certificate so you go get your sin certificate no you don't need to apply to be a sinner you just have to be born and you already born a sinner remember a two year old you tell a two year old to share a frita with a fellow two year old they will cry they will cry like they are hated how can a two year old know how to sting so i encourage everyone to be awake because we are already on facebook and people will see you dozing and they will mark you so be very awake because it doesn't look good for your car crash see you dozing during a sin and righteousness uh lesson <laughs> amen children of god someone say glory glory okay so in the same way um so i said that the little one doesn't need to be taught how to sin it comes natural to them Now when God noticed that there was an issue of sin and the problem that God noticed was people were sinning without realizing they were sinning because it was a second nature to them they didn't have to try it was just flowing so what God decided to do in order to help them realize that they are sinners was to give them a law they couldn't obey right so God gave them a law and what we learned was the purpose of the law what was the purpose of the law was to reveal someone to try what was the purpose of the law was to give mankind consciousness of his sins excellent another person to add on uh was to bring, was to bring righteousness at the consciousness of sin Sorry say that again. The purpose of the law was not to bring the salvation of man, the law was given to bring mankind to a consciousness of sin and the wrath of God and the subsequent need of a savior. Excellent. Excellent. So what we learn as we go through a number of scriptures what we what we learn as we go through a number of scriptures was that the law was never meant for the salvation of man remember what we read, what we learned from the book of Hebrews that the law was never going to make anything perfect but what the bible taught us was is through the law we become conscious of our sin and when we become conscious of our sin we realize we are sinners and when we realize we are sinners and we cannot meet god's standard then we realize we need a savior so what we also learned according to the bible was uh, what 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 portrait was this where the law was a schoolmaster it was an escort that was supposed to take us to christ our savior hallelujah because the bible says through the works of the law shall no flesh be justified before him through obedience to the law shall no flesh be justified before him so the law was given to bring man to a consciousness of his sin and a subsequent uh, consciousness of a consciousness of his sin a consciousness of the wrath of god against his sin and the subsequent need of a savior from his sin right so that was the purpose of the law and the bible says uh, in galatians chapter number 4 that in the fullness of time god sent his son who was born under the law to redeem those who were born under the law all right so we now began talking about righteousness remember what romans chapter number 5 says what romans chapter number 5 says is what it's saying in his in essence interpretively is the same way the same way that the same way that sin works whereby through one man's sin sin entered the world and death through sin to the extent that you didn't need to sin in order to become a sinner you just had to be born from a man who was your federal representative and carried the dna of sin when you are born from that man you automatically become a sinner it was already done for you all the papers were filled he went to all the offices all you had to do was just get into the job 
So in the same way, through one man's obedience, you don't have to do any righteous work. Through one man's righteousness, you don't have to do anything righteous. You just have to believe the one who did the righteous act for you. And when you do believe the righteous act that was done by the Lord Jesus, you receive of the gift of his righteousness and you therefore become righteous by faith. Remember Ephesians chapter, number, chapter 2 verse 8, salvation is a gift. It is not a work. So righteousness equally, which comes through salvation, is a gift. You don't work for a gift. You receive it. But you work for a salary. He says salvation is not a work. Salvation is a gift, not of yourself, lest any man should boast. Because if salvation is something you work for, you'll be like the tax collector who says, Lord, I'm, 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 like, I'm not like this. You'll be like the Pharisee who says, I'm not like this tax collector because I give my tithes, I go to church, you see. And he feels like because of his personal righteousness, he deserves a place in heaven. But that would be, that would be self-righteous, see. Because you also think righteousness comes by what you do. No, the same way that sin does not necessarily come by what you do, but by a nature which was inherited through Adam. In the same way, you, you, you also, you, since you were born, ah, this is powerful, since we were born naturally as sinners and we cannot become righteous by what to do, we can also only become righteous by being born again, being born righteous and not what we do. So since sin was a birth issue, it also means righteousness is a birth issue. Since sin is not a deed issue, it's not an action-oriented issue. Even righteousness is not an action-oriented issue. Righteousness is a birth issue. Shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, that's deep right there. That's deep right there. All right. So those are important parts. So I, I, I basically have caught you, have basically caught you up, guys. Mulia, um, some of you guys who are not here and Shined, how is it going? Are you, are you, are you learning something? Let me hear you say something. Yes, Pastor. Yes, Pastor. It's making sense. Yes. Yes. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. That's super important. That is super important. All right. I want to show you something. I want you to look at the book of First Timothy chapter number one, just to cement something here. I want us to look at the book of First Timothy chapter one and verse nine. Which is in which is interesting. Someone read for us. Anybody? First Timothy chapter number one, verse nine. This is for everyone who thinks that by obeying the Ten Commandments and the law they may be made righteous. Someone read it for us. <clears throat> Just unmute yourself and read. Ah, I thought I'd shared the, <laughs> the screen. Okay. Anybody? Um, First Timothy, First Timothy. Chapter number one. Verse nine. Just a moment. Ah, this is powerful. This is powerful. We're going to read from the, uh -huh, from the NKJV, and then we'll also read from the Passion Translation. Go on. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Yeah. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, mm -hmm. but for the lawless and the insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, 
for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. See? So, um, that's, isn't that interesting? Look at the first line. Knowing this, that... The, the law is not made for a righteous person. So God never made the law for the righteous. There was an agenda that God had at the back of his mind as to why he was bringing the law. Any other person to read from the Passion Translation? Any other person? I think I think we lost her because I can't hear anything. Yes, Jinga. By all means, would you do you mind removing your headset? Ah, that's better. But actually, the law was not established for righteous people, but to bring conviction of sin to the unrighteous. Mm -hmm. The law was established to bring the revelation of sin to the evildoers and rebellious. The law without God, those who are vicious. Mm -hmm. Vicious and vicious and perverse mm -hmm. and to those who strike their father or their mother, mm -hmm. sinners, murderers, mm -hmm. rapists, those who are sexually impure, homosexuals, kidnappers, liars, mm -hmm. those who break their oath. And those who oppose the teaching of godliness and purity in the church. Isn't that interesting? I like the way it uh, specifically comes out. Um, I like the way it specifically comes out in the Passion Translation. It says, actually, the law was not established for righteous people. But to bring conviction of sin to the unrighteous. The law was established to bring the revelation of sin to the evildoers. It feels like the people who are writing the Passion Translation have a good understanding of the, of the New Testament. The law was established to bring the revelation of sin to the evildoers and rebellious. See, that's the reason for the law. It was, it, was, it was made to bring a revelation of sin because people sinned without knowing they are sinners. So you cannot try to establish salvation. You cannot try to establish salvation through the law because it failed. That's why Jesus Christ came. Look at the book of Hebrews. I just want to cement this because this is important to your understanding on the, of the New Testament. Uh, Hebrews chapter number 7. Anybody to read Hebrews chapter number 7? Verse 19. Okay, the Bible says, For the law has never made anyone perfect, but in its place is a far better hope which gives us confidence to experience intimacy with god see that the bible tells us that the law has never made anyone perfect no one has ever been made perfect by the law so when we say no one is perfect we are talking about the law so people will say and there's some people who the only scripture they know is hey no one is perfect don't judge what do they mean no one is perfect don't judge do they even know the scripture that they are talking about? Let me show you something. It's amazing what ignorance can do. When Jesus Christ was saying, do not judge. Some people, that's the only scripture they know. Do not judge. No one is perfect. 
And they don't even know whether those are scriptures or not. They're just like quoting things without understanding. And it's only in, in classes like this where deeper understanding of what righteousness and sin is comes to our attention. But anyways, I, I was just telling you all these things to bring to your attention that through the law, we only come to a consciousness of the fact that we are sinners and we need a savior. So do not be fooled by anyone who's telling you. Many of the things that were happening in the Old Testament were a shadow of the things to come. They were a shadow, for example, how that they would kill bulls and goats and lambs when someone sinned. That was just a type and a shadow of the Lamb of God. But some people have held on to shadows. What they would do is they would get a lamb and they would lay their hands on the lamb or a goat. And then that means there would be a transference of sin from the sinner to the goat or the lamb. And since this, the law says the soul that sins is the one that shall die, and the life of a human being is more valuable than the life of a goat, a bull, or a lamb. So they would take the life of the lamb, the bull, or the goat, who was now uh, symbolically and metaphorically in the realm of the spirit has taken on the sin of the man so that the man can be saved. And that's why John described Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because the sin of the world was laid on our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus' life was as the life of a bull or a goat or an animal. And he valued our lives more than his life on the cross so that we could live for him because he died for us. So Jesus was a symbol. There's more to Sabbath than a day, children of God. There's more to Sabbath than a day also. That's important for you to understand. <laughs> Let me show you something. When you read the book of Colossians chapter number 2, uh, read verse 16. And I don't know what people make of these scriptures. I don't know if they see them or not. And I'm not attacking anyone. I'm just, when I read the Bible, I wonder why people don't see some things, but they're just there. Someone read Colossians chapter number 2, verse 16. <coughs> Anybody? I think I'm married. Can I read? I said anyone, sir. <laughs> so, Colossians 2, verse 16. So why would you allow anyone to judge you because of what you eat or drink mm -hmm. or insist that you keep the feasts, observe new moon, celebrations or the Sabbath? Mm -hmm. And it goes on verse 17. All of these were all of these were but a prophetic shadow and the evidence of what would be fulfilled for the body is now Christ. You see that? He says, why should you let anyone judge you? Why should you allow anyone to judge you because of what you eat or drink? Look, I'm reading the Bible, by the way. I'm not telling you opinions. So if you want to argue with me, go argue with the Bible. Go ask Jesus, why did you put this? Ask you want to keep the Sabbath. See? Or we want to not eat meat. Why would you allow anyone to judge you because of what you eat or drink? Or insist that you keep the feasts, observe the new moon celebrations or the Sabbath? The Bible says all of these were but a prophetic shadow. And the evidence of what would be fulfilled, which has been fulfilled in Christ. It says for the body is now Christ. It's like every time you see someone's image, you are so attached to the image. You just like the image. Although the owner of the person has come, you just want the hologram. You love their shadow. You've fallen in love with their shadow that even though the main person has come, you just like the way the shadow looks like. That's the strangeness we see today. That's the kind of strangeness that we see today. When you read the book of Romans chapter number 14, the Bible says, 
offer an open hand of fellowship to welcome every believer, even though their faith may be weak and immature, and refuse to engage in debates with them concerning nothing more than opinions. For example, one believer has no problem with eating all kinds of food, but another with weaker faith will only eat, will eat only vegetables. The one who eats freely shouldn't judge and look down on the one who eats vegetables. And the vegetarian must not judge and look down on the, on the one who eats everything. Remember, God has welcomed him and taken him as his partner. Who do you think you are to sit in judgment of someone else's house, household servant? His own master is the one who evaluates uh, whether he succeeds or fails. And God's servants will succeed for his power supports them. And the Bible says, in the same way, one person regards a certain day as more sacred than another. Another person regards all of them alike. He says, we should not involve ourselves with people who like to argue over Old Testament things. And some of them, their faith is just weak. Some of them, their faith is just weak. They want to stick to the shadow more than the reality. So you have to understand what the purpose of the law was before you find yourself encumbered and entangled with Old Testament things. When you are in the New Testament, so the purpose of the law was to bring man to a revelation of sin and a need for a savior. So the law was never meant for the righteous. Are you listening to me? But the Bible has told us the law was meant for rapists, for murderers. <laughs> there are people who don't deserve a law. It's the righteous. The righteous don't deserve a law. It would have been unrighteous for God to give righteous men a law. It would have been an insult. When a man is righteous, they don't need a law in the realm of the spirit. I've made a very strong statement. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me prove it by scripture. I'm using the authority of the scriptures to show you some of these things. I want you to look at Galatians chapter number 5. And I'm going to read from verse uh, maybe 21. Or maybe let's begin from 19. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Remember we talked about the works of the flesh. And the Bible says, I adultery, fornication, and cleanliness, and cleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred. These are the works of the flesh. These are the works of sinners, the ones who need the law, right? These are their works. So the Bible tells us idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of, of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things do not inherit the kingdom of God. And then we are told, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now, let me correct something here. This is important for you to understand. You have to, to pay very close attention here. The use of the word Spirit here is highlighted, but you have one word for the word Spirit in the Greek. That word is the word pneuma. So you don't have the word Holy Spirit. Normally, normally it just appears as pneuma. It's one word. Sometimes it means uh, wind. Sometimes it means spirit. It may also mean ghost. It may also mean Holy Spirit. So you have to derive from context that the kind of spirit being talked about here is the Holy Spirit or it is an evil spirit or it is the wind you have to derive from context so when they are interpreting sometimes they do not necessarily express themselves through the authority of the of, through interpreting scripture and revelation they just think this should be the holy spirit but it is not this is uh this is not the many scriptures will tell you the fruit of the holy spirit it's wrong it's not necessarily the holy spirit listen the holy spirit does not need to grow fruit the Holy Spirit does not need to grow fruit. It is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not need to grow fruit. This is the fruit of the recreated human spirit. That's important for you to understand. This is the fruit of the recreated human spirit. When you are born again and you give your life to Christ, according to the, the prophetic word of the prophet Ezekiel in the book of Ezekiel chapter number uh, 36 verses 26, what he said is, I will give you a new heart. I'll remove the stony heart of, out of you and I'll put a new heart in you. That new heart is a recreated human spirit. According 
according to the book of Ephesians chapter number 10, uh, chapter 2, verse 10, which says you have been recreated. It's your human spirit which has been recreated. The audio has gone. Remember, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. That new creation is the new human spirit that is born after God, that is God-like, that has, according to the book of First John chapter 3, verse 9, has the seed of God in them. Okay, that is the recreated human spirit, the old dead spirit, which has which has pre-Adamic nature in it, which has the pre-Adamic DNA in it, which is dead to God and alive to sin and the world has been taken out. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, the new person who is a child of God has now been recreated in you. That human spirit, that's the one that's been talked about here. And that human spirit, which is recreated after Christ Jesus, produces fruit. So this is not supposed to be the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Remember, according to the book of John, chapter number 15, Jesus Christ said, remain in me, for you cannot bear fruit apart from me. He says, I am the branch. I am the, the, the vine and you are the branches. And then he says, the branch that does not bear fruit, I will cut off. He didn't say, if I don't bear fruit, he was not going to cut himself off. He doesn't need to bear fruit. What he's saying is, since I am the trunk, I have provided all the nutrients for you to bear fruit as the branch. It is not the responsibility of the, of the trunk, of the tree to bear fruit. It is the responsibility of the plant. It is the ability of the branch to bear fruit. Otherwise, we would be blaming Jesus if we are failing to bear fruit. And he shouldn't cut us out. But he says, if you don't bear fruit, I'll cut you off. That means it is our responsibility by the supply of the Spirit. Could you kindly stop making movements? Kindly stop making movements and settle. So it is the responsibility of the branch by the supply of the spirit, the supply of the trunk, the supply of the tree, the supply of the vine that makes the branch be able to bear fruit. And what makes the branch bear fruit is because the branch has a recreated human spirit. So our recreated human spirit in Christ Jesus can bear fruit. Shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, we can bear fruit. We are able to stop saying I'm just a human being. No, you can bear fruit. You can bear fruit. So the, 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 when the Bible uses the word spirit here, it's even supposed to be small letter, not, not large letter. Okay, that's just important for, for you to understand. So, but the fruit, Galatians chapter number 5, verse 22, getting to the point I want to bring you to, the Bible says, but the fruit of the recreated human spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Listen to this. This is the important part I want you to note. He says, against such, there is what? Someone read. Someone read verse 23. Gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Are you seeing that? It means, it means there is no law. There is no law. You cannot tell a righteous man what to not do. That's why we are told the law was made for sinners, not for the righteous. God wouldn't make a law for the righteous like this. They have different laws by which they operate, but not the laws of sin and death. They have been freed from that. They are now alive to the law of life. They are alive to life. They are alive to righteousness. So they do not need to be told the wrong things to do. So this is what the Bible means when it says, against such there is no law. So against the righteous, against those that grow in the fruit of the Spirit, the law is not for them. But Timothy tells us that the law was for those who operate the flesh, for the ungodly, for drunkards, for rapists. That's what the law was for, not for us. Shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. And this is what happens sometimes. You get into a debate with some of your friends, but you lack scripture. You don't know. So you buy anything they will tell you. You buy anything they will tell you. And you cannot be an effective minister without knowing some of these things. You need to know them. You won't be established in the faith. You won't grow in the faith. 
You won't grow in the things of the spirit. If you don't understand such very important foundational tenets. Do you now see that you are better off being awake than being asleep because you would have missed this? Yes, pastor. You would have missed this. Are you learning? Very much. Yes, pastor. Learning. That's important. Um, I'm going to show you something. The book of First Peter. I was reading this two nights ago and I was just blessed. I was super blessed. First, uh, Second Peter, actually, chapter one. You love, you love reading this. Second Peter, chapter one. I'm gonna start from verse one. Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God. It's not your righteousness; it's the righteousness of our God. And Savior Jesus Christ, which was imparted to us. And then he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Oh, I wish I could spend two months teaching on just this scripture. Then the Bible says, as his divine power has given to us all things. See, his divine power. Brothers and sisters, listen, stop being afraid. His divine power has given you how many things? All things. All things. Yeah, that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called you. The Bible says, uh, this version says, by glory and virtue. But it misses something. When you look at the KJV, it says, I like this. It says, that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him who hath called us to glory and virtue. God has called us to a life of glory and virtue. Virtue, the word virtue there is the word excellence. When I read this, I couldn't have anything less. I couldn't have anything less. Because I knew exactly what God had called me to. Shout, I know what God has called me to. I know, I know what, God, what God, God has called me to. Yeah. He says, whereby are given to us. Oh, boy. Are you notice, have you noticed the Bible does not say, whereby are promised unto us? I wish I could teach on this also. A whole one month. But anyways, the Bible says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye may be partakers of the divine nature. Hi. Are you feeling what I'm feeling? Let me read it from the NKJV. Maybe it will be, it will be lesser light. He says, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through knowledge. Of him who called us to glory and excellence. And then the Bible goes on to tell us by which promises the Bible goes on to tell us by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these we may be partakers of the divine nature. When we realize that what God has given us, we become partakers of the divine nature. We begin behaving divine. We stop behaving like just normal human beings out there. Normal human beings out there. It says, by this, we become partakers of the divine. Hallelujah. It says, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. We have escaped the corruption which is in the world through sin, which is lust. Now listen to this. The Bible says, but also for this very reason, this is now the part I want you to focus on and listen to. It says, but also for this very reason, given all diligence, this is where now you have to give diligence, effort. It says, add. God is not going to add for you if you just want to be sleeping because you need to sleep. God is not going to add for you. The Bible says, add. Is the scripture saying, let God add for you? No. What you're doing right now is you're adding because you've, you've stayed up. You are listening. You have sacrificed your sleep. It means you are adding. You're not like the person who said, ah, me, I need to sleep. You've stayed here to listen. You are adding. And that addition is going to produce tremendous grace in you. Shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the Bible says, but for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, 
virtue. That's excellence. And to virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. Even the fruit of the Spirit, you have to add. You have to grow into what you've already been given. That's addition. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours, I like what the KJV says. It says, for if these things be in you, hallelujah. I want you to say, these things are in me. If these things are in me. Amen. It says, if these things are yours and abound, that means in increasing measure, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Hey, hey, there are people who are barren in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus. There are people, you can look at some believers, they are unfruitful. They are always struggling with sin. They always think they are sinners saved by grace. They are always praying for sins. They think they probably didn't know. They did. They become unfruitful. But what the Bible is telling us, if these things be in you and they begin to increase, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And then the Bible goes on to say, for he who lacks, this is the part I want you to listen to, for he who lacks these things, it's short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Hey. I'm going to read this again. Let me try another version. If anyone lacks these things, he or she is blind, constantly closing his eyes to the mysteries of our faith and forgetting his innocence for his past sins have been washed away. Did you know that your sins have been washed away? Did you know? Did, yes. He says, if you do not increase in knowledge, in brotherly kindness, in love, in understanding the mystery of Christ, in growing in the knowledge of God, these are the people who now start saying, we are all sinners. No one is perfect. They, because they are not growing in godliness. They are not growing in righteousness. So they forget. They end up just being normal human beings. They forget because they are not growing in the things of the spirit. So you can forget and start thinking, I, after all, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a, someone was saying, my friend was saying, we all have weaknesses. So they can go ahead and drink and sleep around. Because they all have weaknesses. But they got born again. It's because they've not been exposed to the knowledge of the faith. So they forget that their past sins have been forgiven and washed away. So they behave like every other person out there. Let me show you something. And it's so, it's so, so bad. Just meeting people who just say, we are all sinners saved by grace. All of us. I'm just human. I'm just human. No, 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 no. That's wrong. That's wrong. Somebody say that's wrong. That's wrong. So this is an interesting scripture, and I encourage you to read the whole of it um, in your own time. So Revelation chapter number one, verse four, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who, who was, who, from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Do you know who the kings is talking about? Jesus is not just talking about the ungodly kings. He's talking about us kings. He's the ruler of us kings. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And the Bible goes on to say, to him who loved us and did what? He washed us from our sins in his own blood. What tense is this, children of God? Those who did English, what tense is that? First. First. Okay, maybe let me try to read it. 
to him who loved us and is planning on washing us one of these days in his blood. Is that what it says? No. To him who no. loved us and when we get to heaven, he will wash us in his blood. No. Yeah. You people need to understand that sin does not have power over you unless you allow it. Sin does not have power over you. And it takes a lot of deliberateness to sin. You just can't sin unknowingly. How do you sin unknowingly? You are just seated the whole day doing nothing. You start praying at him. Maybe we sin not knowing. Why not thank God for the righteousness which is in you? He's not planning on washing. He washed us in his blood. He washed us. He washed us. What Bible do people read? Let me show you something. Romans chapter number 8. I'm going to read verse 3. Someone says, sin has no power over me. Sin has no power over me. Come on, say that like you mean it. Sin has no power over me. Okay. I want you to read. Ah, this is powerful. Anybody to read Romans chapter number 8 verses 3. Romans 8, verse 3. Mm-hmm. For God has done what the law could not do. Mm-hmm. Being weakened by the flesh, sending his own son. You've skipped something. Guys, or sinful flesh. Okay, I want you to read. You're reading Amplified. You can't skip what's in the brackets. That's the reason we got it. Oh. So read what's in parentheses too. Uh, for God has done what the law could not could not do. Mm-hmm. It's part being weakened by the flesh. The entire nature of man without the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. sending his son in the guise of flesh and as an offering for sin. Mm-hmm. God Condemned sin in the flesh, mm-hmm. subdued, overcame, deprived it of its power over, over all who accepted hey, the do, do you people read this? You know, there are scriptures which when you read, you want to shout. Have you, have you just read what that scripture has said in particular? There are scriptures which when you read, you want to shout. Can you imagine the Bible actually says this? It says, let me read it for you maybe. For God has done what the law could not do. The law being weakened by the flesh, the entire nature of of man without the Holy Spirit, okay? By sending his own son in the guise of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. God condemned sin in the flesh. That's in the flesh of Jesus Christ. He condemned sin. He subdued, overcame, deprived it of its power over who all who accepted that sacrifice shout hallelujah Hallelujah. i can't talk like i'm a normal sinner out there just succumbing to the power of the flesh when the bible says he subdued overcame deprived sin of its power over me who accepted the sacrifice not to work for it he jesus worked for it Mine is to accept that sacrifice. And through the work of Jesus, in the body of Jesus, when the whole lot of sin went into the body of Jesus, what God did is he deprived it of its power over me. When I accept the sacrifice of righteousness, he deprived it of its power over me. Sin has been deprived of its power over you. Sin has been deprived of its power over us. Shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, this is how you, you are supposed to start thinking. You're supposed to have a brain of the just, which has been brainwashed by the scriptures. When people start say, telling you you've been brainwashed, it's okay. Look, the word of God cleanses you. That's what the Bible says. The Bible talks about the, 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 the what? In the book of Ephesians chapter number 5, verse 26, he says, he says, he says, uh, he says, He says, so that he might sanctify her, talking about the church, 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So we've been brainwashed by a soap and the water called the word. All of us are brainwashed. It just depends on the soap. So if someone is telling you that you've been brainwashed, ask them which soap, since they claim to know so much that you've been brainwashed. Hallelujah. Praise so when you've been brainwashed by the word of God, when you've been washed by the word of God, your conscience has been washed of the fear, the ignorance. You just can't talk and behave anyhow. You become conscious of the fellowship that you have with the Son. You become conscious of the fellowship that you have with the Spirit. You begin being more conscious of your righteousness. Some people, that's the reason why they sin. They are too conscious that they are sinners. So they keep allowing themselves doing strange things. So they go on doing the wrong things. Say, that's not me anymore. That's not me anymore. Yeah, you become conscious of that fact. And you begin growing in righteousness. Now, in the next few minutes, because I'm almost done, what I want to also tell you is this. A lot of people, the problem is they have fear. In fact, let's end here. Let me, let me, I want you to write this down. I want you to write what grace has done in me. Plus, what grace has done for me. That's what we'll be looking at tomorrow. Because I just realized we've hit our one hour mark, so we have to end. So, remember, we are dealing with understanding sin and righteousness. <sighs> sin cannot have power over you. There's a scripture I love. It's in Romans chapter number 6. Verse 14, here's what it says. Sin shall not any longer exert dominion over you. Since now you are not under the law, as slaves, but under grace, as subjects of God's favor and mercy. I like that. There were people, there were people who sin had dominion over. Sin shall not have dominion, rulership over you, for you are not under the law. The Bible says the power of sin is the law. Because then in the law, it makes you feel like you're really a sinner because you can't obey it. But God moves you not just from the law, but from sin and brings you to righteousness. So sin cannot have dominion over you. Sin cannot rule you because you are in a different dispensation. Shout hallelujah. 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 Yeah. If the Bible says sin, the Bible says sin shall not have dominion over you, then you why are you saying we are still sinners? Aren't you violating the scriptures? So yours now is to begin growing in the truth of righteousness, and it begins being so practical and easy. Because we are going to learn what grace has done for you, plus what grace has done in you. Very important. These are the things that, that are going to, now that you have this knowledge, these are the things that keep you growing stronger in your righteousness in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.